It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We walk the fields under the stars. For love is here in Goldshaw Farms. Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. On each episode of the podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And one of the questions that I get the most when people ask us about our farm and homestead and how we ended up here is the question of how did we decide on the land that we decided upon? You know, it's a significant question that I feel like lots of people, when they first get that idea of, I want to start homesteading, they always gravitate to that concept of wanting to have their own land. I don't know, I don't know what it exactly is, but there's this magical thing that happens when, when people think about owning a patch of dirt all their own, not beholden to somebody else. It's theirs. Um, you know, some might argue it's it's rooted very much in kind of serfdom, and you think of the Middle Ages, right? And you had the, the lords who owned the land and the serfs who could not own the land, you know, being of the lower class meant you couldn't even, in fact, own land and only er- the aristocracy could own the land. And so I don't know if it's one of those things that's just been handed down culturally from that, but but regardless of, of where it originates from, the, the, the sense of wanting to own your own land is, is definitely a strong one. I know it was something that for me personally captivated me and, you know, was at the, was, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's the only concept at the core of, of how I started down this path of, of starting this farm, but it was one of those early attractors, the, the idea of, yes, I will have this vast holding in the middle of nowhere and I will live on this land and work the land and live from the land it's just this beautiful dream that you have. And and I know I've told you guys in the past the story of how we ended up with our farm and how we ended up buying our farm. So I'm not going to rehash all of that. But I do want to talk a little bit about the mental journey I've been on about owning land and what that means. Because I know that there's a lot of you out there who are, are thinking about starting your own homestead or moving out of the city to some piece in the country to try to farm or grow your own food. And I just, I feel like I've learned a couple of lessons. And so I I wanted to impart them onto you guys. You know, I remember when we were conducting our internet searches, looking for what ultimately became our farm, I always set the criteria. You know, you go on, I don't know, whether it's Trulia or Zillow or Realtor.com or any of those online sites that let you search for all the property listings. You know, they let you set the size of the house, your price range, your general area that you want to search in and they also usually let you set the amount of land that you can purchase and I pretty much consistently had always set my filtering criteria of it had to be 25 acres or more and you know that in and of itself narrowed down the search significantly for the types of properties that we were we could potentially buy Around here in Vermont, there are a lot of properties that are of that size and, and larger, much larger, as you'll, you'll find out as I explain our current setup. But at the same time, there's many, many more properties that are on smaller lots of land. And one of those discussions that always pops up is, you know, how productive can you be on a certain chunk of land? 
and how much how much land do you actually need to feed your family or how much land do you need to start a farm and it's it's not exactly an easy question to answer um, so much of it is dependent upon your personal context so much of it is dependent on what you personally are trying to do and so much of it is is dependent on how hard you're willing to work the land because I know people who are able to produce enough food for themselves and their family off like half an acre, um, but it's hard. It's it's a, it's a it's hard work. It's challenging, and and it's a lot easier if you have more land. Um, our farm, we ended up uh, purchasing a farm that is about a little over 160 acres, and so that's a ridiculous amount of space and land. And, you know, it was one of the things that sort of is most exciting about it. And when people ask us about our farm, it's like, it's kind of like the, one of the bragging points. And I know I shouldn't feel so much pride and it's, it's almost kind of embarrassing when I do. I'm like, oh, it's 160 acres. And it's just, you know, but that, that is the size. Um, it consists of about 45, 50 acres of pasture and the remainder is all woods. Um, yet if I look at our farm... I will say that the size of our farm was maybe one of the biggest early mistakes I made because there's no way that we need this much land. There, There's so much land that goes uh, sort of unattended to. You know, in permaculture, right, they have this theory of zones. Like zone one is your house and zone two is the area immediately surrounding your house and zone three is a little bit further out. And as the higher number of zones go the less and less regular interaction that you have with that landscape. And so let the less and less impact that you're generally putting on that landscape. Um, <clears throat> for us, that's very much the case. I, I found from my own personal experience and yeah, our house, we're sleeping in it and every night and eating all of our meals and doing everything. And yes, yeah, so that's definitely part of zone one and the area immediately surrounding it in the barn is definitely area that I'm going to on a very regular basis daily to do chores um, the area where we're keeping our ducks and geese, or actually I should say the area where we're keeping our ducks and chickens um, is, is definitely in that zone two, zone three range. It's very close to the house. It's very regularly trafficked. Um, as we go a little bit further out, the geese are a little further out and our, our orchard is a little bit further out, further out, but none of it would get past what would be designated as anything higher than zone four. Um, but the majority of our, our farm is in that five, six, and seven range. So, you know, we've got big open pasture that we brush hog maybe twice a year, and that's darn near the only thing we're doing with it right now. We've got lots of woods where I might go in there and take down a tree or forage something here and there, but other than that, I'm not doing too much with it. And, and so a lot of it goes unused, and it's just something that we try to maintain um, it's great for the wildlife and it, it's a positive. So I don't mean to, to sound negative on the whole experience, but at the same time, it's not necessary. And so if I'm going to take my experience and apply it to you guys, I would say that, you know, you don't necessarily need nearly as much land as you might think you need. Um, you know, that, and that lower threshold and lower amount of land that you need means that you need less money to purchase your property and, Maybe you can just do it for all cash if you can find something that's low enough price for you and your price range. And that in and of itself would be such an advantage as you're trying to, to start your own farm or start your own homestead because it means a less ongoing expense that you'll have. Um, you know, the other aspect and the other trade-off that happens with a large property comes large property tax bill. 
the more land that you have, the more you're going to end up paying for that land on a regular basis to your local municipalities and state and whatever. Um, one of the things that we're very lucky with our land is it's uh, in what's known as the current use program, meaning it's used for agriculture or, or forestry, as well as the fact that it's, it's actually held. There's a conservation easement on it with the Vermont Land Trust. That means that it's taxed in an, an advantageous way to me, the owner, um, and it makes it much cheaper to own this much land because if it wasn't in that scenario, I would, I would probably sell our place because there would be no way I would want to try to afford it on an ongoing basis. So, you know, just some things to consider when you're thinking about buying a lot of land. One, it is something that you're not going to use nearly as much as you think you might. And two, there's a lot of hidden costs that come with it. And three, I think the third thing I'll throw on that list is that there's a lot of work to it. Um, you know, I spend a significant amount of time just working certain parts of the property that barely get used, but just in the name of maintenance and, and keeping it from getting overgrown or keeping it from converting into forest. And um, that takes work or even just maintaining the forest even too. So you just keep that in mind. I'm not saying that you shouldn't buy a property, just saying you should keep this stuff in mind. The other thing that I feel like is the hidden secret that if, if you downloaded this podcast and you're listening to it and wanting to get some sort of value from it, this, this thing right here that I'm going to tell you about is the thing to pay attention to, uh, particularly if you're in the market for a farm or a homestead. And, and that's the fact that there's a lot of land that's going unused in rural America today. Um, you know, here in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom, where we live, it's a very sparsely populated area, yet there are lots of old farms still around here. A lot of those farms are owned by people who, frankly, treat treat the properties that they live in as, as vacation properties. Um, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, per se, but it does create this situation where you have these large tracts of land that are going unused in other ways beyond just sort of our unused portion that we have right now that we might have some future designs for. Um, you know, when you, when you look out there and you drive around like in our town here or even in the surrounding area, you can find property after property that's just sort of growing out and going into weed or, you know, is being rented by some farmer in, uh, uh, and by the way, I mean, growing into weeds, like, like weeds, like ragweed and goldenrod and that sort of thing, not marijuana, even though that's definitely a growing concern out here in uh, growing uh, business, I should say, out here in uh, Vermont's Northeast Kingdom. But but a lot of that is, you know, it's being unused, basically. And there's definitely an opportunity for somebody who is out here to rent that land for a very low price per acre, or even potentially just for free for being a good steward and caretaker for it. And so if you're out there and you're living in a city and planning and dreaming about starting your own farm and, and having some sort of setup that you put together, um, considering sort of borrowing or leasing land, I think is a significant opportunity. You know, there's a, there's a farmer down south by the name of Greg Judy. He does a massive grass-fed beef, beef operation. And he doesn't own most of his land. And he hasn't owned most of his land for like, I don't know, 30 or 40 years, something ridiculous like that. And what he has done is just been a very good renter and leaser of land within his area. And that's been able to give him the pasture that he needed to expand his uh, grass-fed beef operation larger and larger. 
So, so when you think about a business model, right, there's an opportunity there as well. The, the other thing, though, I know you guys are probably saying, yeah, Morgan, I hear you. Yeah, you can probably rent land, but it's not the same. We want our own space. We want our own piece of property. Keep that in mind, but know that there is a significant cost that comes with that sense of ownership. And unless you're fully willing to endure that cost, and you don't want to necessarily put that cost into some sort of other of other avenue of spend, whether it's investing in infrastructure or investing in rehabbing a house or whatever building, whatever you, you're trying to do, just know that each acre you're buying contains both a cost for purchase, a cost for maintenance, and a cost for ownership in terms of taxes. And so just keep it in mind. Um, this, this is really all I had for this episode. I apologize. I didn't actually book a guest this week because I've been traveling for my day job and, and just have not had a chance to sit down and have a good conversation with somebody. Uh, I do have a couple of really good ones though coming up over the next couple of weeks. So my apologies. And also I will say I will be at the Homesteaders of America conference, uh, down in front Royal Virginia. And that conference is, I believe in October, it's, uh, let me tell you, it is October, I think, uh, 11th and 12th down in Front Royal, Virginia. So I will be down there. So if you guys want to meet me or hang out, uh, hit me up. I'll be there wandering, talking to people, having conversations, probably recording some episodes of the podcast, probably recording some YouTube videos. So, so please let me know. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys have enjoyed this little piece of information. Uh, yeah, like I said, sorry, I don't have a full episode this week, but I will be back next week with a full episode. Um, until then, be sure to check out us and our YouTube channel. Um, we do put out two new videos every week that sort of tells the story of our farm and what's going on with our farm. And with that, I will ask my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce, to play our theme song and close the show. Thanks, guys. It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We work the fields. Under the stars, the love is here at Gold Shop Farms. A city life yet had its charms. But we would dream of the fields under the stars. I fall asleep inside its arms. The love is here at Gold Shop Farms. The love is here. Here at Gold Shop Farm.